Well, hello, and welcome back to uh, the study of Ecclesiastes, uh, brought to you by uh, Mayor Community Church in uh, Mayer, Arizona. You'll recall that uh, last time we um, got started in the writer of Ecclesiastes' um, set of advice, pieces of advice that he's giving. We um, had a look at two of them, and those were Approach God Fearfully, which is the first half of chapter 5, and then Beware of Materialism, which... Um, we saw in the second half of chapter 5 through all of chapter 6. And as you'll recall, the writer of Ecclesiastes could be Solomon, we don't know for sure, um, is, is really launching into a manual for life. He's told us to accept that life is broken, that life is damaged, that it's not hospitable, it is hostile toward everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. Although he'll say many times that the believer has an advantage, for sure. Uh, but that life is still, the life we live in this world, is not, um, not what it should be. And he's made the case for that, and he's explained it, and he's gone through God's sovereignty and, and all of that. And notice how he starts out in his advice. He starts out with, approach God fearfully, chapter 5. But now we come to the third piece of advice. We come to the third piece of advice, and that... Um, is found in the beginning of chapter 7. And in many Bibles, chapter 7 is uh, set apart in a sort of a prosaic fashion, has sort of a block quote kind of uh, structure, much as did chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. And so we know there's something going on here. Chapter 7 is, is once again done in a very stylistic, prosaic way. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses, chapter 7, 1 through 14. And we've given this the title, again, Expect Adversity. Expect Adversity. This is advice number three. Now let's go ahead and read the whole section, and then we'll, we'll unpack it. A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot so is the laughter of the fool. 
and this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Isn't God's word great? Now, th this is a confusing, well, a mysterious. It is. It's a mysterious passage. And a lot like Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it seems to be not real continuous. It seems to jump around and be a little disjointed. Okay. But it really isn't. It really isn't. If you come to this book believing that there is a continuous message, and believing that this is a faithful writer, someone who knew God and loved God, then you will interpret, especially as you look at all the context, that's why we're taking it in blocks, you, as you look at the context, you will see that he is saying something for us. And in this section, verses 1 through 14, he's saying expect adversity. And he's going to tell us that there are three things that adversity does for us. Three benefits, three blessings, if you will. Three good outcomes. And the first one he's given us is that adversity has a lot to do with your legacy. Adversity has a lot to do with an individual's reputation and legacy. In fact, it's a major ingredient in it. A major ingredient. And not only that, he'll actually describe it in two terms. He'll describe it as your legacy, that is, as the life you leave behind, but also the life you live now. Look at verse 1. A good name, a good name, is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Well, we have a couple of clues here. We have a couple of clues. First of all, the ointment. Um, this is um, equal to fragrance. Equal to fragrance. He's saying goodwill. In other words, the word goodwill we use today, especially if you ever have any customer relations training or, or intersection with customer service ideas, um, goodwill is how people think about you. Goodwill is what people think about you. And what he's saying here by ointment um, is like goodwill. He, he's referring to goodwill. And then when he says your name, and then later your death, still verse 1, 
a good name, and then he says the day of one's death. He's talking about your legacy, what you leave behind. Not legacy in terms of money and goods, but legacy in terms of your character, what people will think about you and say about you when you're gone. Okay? So that is the life you leave behind. And then look at verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Now, how do you do these things? you do these things when you're dead or you're alive? Well, you're alive. He's saying while you're alive, it's possible even to let your death affect your life. Let the idea of the, uh, uh, let the notion that you will one day not be here, and of course, as the saying goes, no one gets out of life alive. No one gets out of this thing alive. He's saying, affect your, let it affect your life. The consciousness of your own mortality will improve your life. Now, I don't, I don't know if everyone will understand this. But I am really impressed by how previous generations, particularly the ones that went through the Great Depression and then World War II, how those folks came out of that with a pragmatism and a soberness on the value of life. Real people. I'm not sure we're ever going to see that again. These are people that were just amazingly resilient and positive and forward-looking. And that, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here. Adversity can cause you to put the most into your life that you possibly can. To live life, well, there's a, there's a country western song, live, like, live, live as if you're dying. Think about that. So he's saying, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that your legacy, one of the things that adversity can do, well, one of the things it does, is that it, it pours a certain amount of value into your legacy. It, it affects your legacy. Not only the life you leave behind, but also the life you live now. The second thing he's going to say adversity brings, the good thing that it brings, is, for want of a better term, level-headedness. Level-headedness. Look what he says in verse, and we'll go uh, 2 through 7. Better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man. The living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than, than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is is futility, for oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. 
he's saying that level uh, the the one of the outcomes of adversity, one of the good outcomes, is that it gives us level-headedness. It produces level-headedness. What that what I mean by that is, as we read this description through two through seven, what did it? How did it strike you? It strikes us as he's saying that adversity has the effect of not allowing one to pretend that life is not broken. Adversity won't let you pretend that life is not broken. He says the wise hang out with sober thinkers and fools hang out with sensuous people. People are always looking to have a good time. Partying. Now, nothing wrong with partying. Nothing wrong with having a good time. But that is an empty way to live. There's no substance in that kind of life. He also is saying, you know, you should be living life meditating on the fact that you are impermanent. Meditating on your impermanence. And that sober thinking is wiser than frivolity. Look at verse 5. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the, uh, to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too, too is futility. He's saying, if you keep trying to pretend that life is not broken, if you keep trying to escape from life, that that's futile. It's futile. And he mocks it. He mocks it here when he says the crackling of thorns under a pot. In ancient times, and really even some not so ancient, people took, if they wanted to make a fire out in the wilderness or, you know, in a desert life or in a in a life where, you know, there wasn't a lot of wood maybe around, they would take whatever was handy. And a lot of times it was just scrub brush. And they would take the scrub brush and they'd you know, stick that in their fire pit and they would burn it. Of course, it burned very, very quickly. And one of the Psalms actually refers to that, how quickly that burns. But it would be scrub brush or thorns and it would burn. And when it would burn, it would actually pop. And it would make little thumping noises or popping noises underneath the pot. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is, is, is saying that Living a life with your focus on having good time and frivolity and laughter, he says, the sound of that is like the sound of a pot. Your laughing is, is like the sound of these, these thorns and these brambles burning under the pot. Pot, 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 you know. He's mocking it. He's making fun of it. Verse 7 for oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The word mad there in the Hebrew is halal. And as its root, it, it's used different ways. It even is part of the word hallelujah, which is a whole nother, whole nother story. But at its root, it means out of your head, beside yourself. And when... Back to, back to hallelujah. When it's used in the word hallelujah, you can see 
what's going on there. It means giving praise to God in an over-the-top way. Well, in this context, oppression makes a white, verse 7, oppression makes a wise man mad. He's saying, if you insist, if you insist on opposing God and not letting God be God, in being indignant and angry and resentful toward God for how he runs life, this will cause you to go crazy. It will cause you to act and to respond, to live in an unnatural, illogical way. You'll, you, you'll live like a nut. You'll live like a kook. And not only that, let's read on. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be, what? Angry. Anger only fits this passage if you're talking about anger toward God. For anger resides in the bosom of fools. One more verse. Do not be eager in your heart. No, that's it. Do not be Verse 9. Okay, so he's saying struggling with God, struggling with God, contending with God is going to confirm your rebellion. It's going gonna, it's gonna to firm up the rebellion in your heart. You know, Scripture says that in different places. If you've ever read about Pharaoh and when the Jews had their exodus out of Egypt, and the, the Scripture says that Pharaoh hardened his heart when Moses, you know, was trying to get the Jews out from under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, it says, hardened his heart. And then it also says God hardened his heart, which is a very interesting study to look at sometimes. But here's the thing. That's what it's saying here in verse 9. If you continue in indignation and in anger toward God, it will seal your heart. It will harden your heart. It will freeze your ability to have a tender heart toward God. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes brings this up again at the very end of the book. In chapter 12, he says it again. Chapter 12, last, last chapter, and look at verse 11, almost the last verse. He says, The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. He says here at the end of the book, he says, you know, I'm doing this to prick you, to goad you, to, 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 to jab you. And he says, in the end, how you respond to what I'm telling you will nail down what you are and how you think and what your response is to the reached-out hands of God. So that's the second uh, thing about adversity. The second thing that it does uh, when we respond to it properly is it gives us a level-headedness. And then the third thing, and we see this in verse 10, going through to the end, verse 14, what adversity can also do 
is to give us contentment. Teach us contentment. Look at verse 10. Do not say, why is it that the former days are better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. What's he saying? He's saying we shouldn't be looking back. Nothing wrong with looking back and and recounting the wonders that God has done in your life, the, the wonderful things that God has done. But that's not what's being said here. He's saying you're looking back. Well, look at the next... uh, Look at the end of that, verse 10. It is not from wisdom that you ask about this. He's saying it's foolish to say, Oh, the good old days. Why, beloved? Why is that foolish? Because it discounts what God is doing in your life right now. It denigrates what God is doing in you right now to say, Oh God, you treated me better before. Because it's not true. It's not true. This is the idea of contentment. This is the idea. Wisdom, he says, is not thinking like that. It's not thinking like that. Now, We only have a few verses left here, but even in these few verses, he's going to divide this idea into three pieces. This idea of contentment, he's going to divide into three pieces, three areas that God wants us to be content in. And he's just described one of them. And you can tell. You can tell what it is. It's our lot. Or as the saying is today, your lot in life. It's our lot in life. What God has handed us, what he has given us, what the writer of Ecclesiastes called in chapter 5, near the end of the chapter, twice, he calls it our reward, that is, our portion. But here, he's referring to it, and it's our lot. One of three things that we should be content about is our lot, what God has given us, what he's allotted us. Look what else happens. Verse 11. Wisdom along with what? An inheritance. Let's just call it money to to make it simple. And he says, Wisdom along with inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. So verses 11 and 12. Um, particularly, really, 10 through 12. He's saying money is a pretty good thing. It does add to life. But notice what he says it adds. Look at verse 12. Wisdom is protection. That word protection, different Bible versions have, by the way, notice, notice he says it twice. That word protection is actually um, the Hebrew word whose root refers to shade, you know, protection from the sun, shade. And he's using it here, and different, different Bible versions have different words there. Some have um, uh, shadow or, or uh, things like that. He's saying money does 
add comfort, goods, wealth, stuff, does add comfort to life. But then what does he say? But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. He's saying money can't really add to life in the end. Money can't add anything meaningful to life as wisdom can. Does that make sense? Money can add shade, it can add shadow, it can add comfort, it can make life a little easier, but it's not going to give it meaning. It's not going to give it meaning. Look how many people there are who have everything, much more than than the average, or much more than anyone could really ever use, let alone want. And yet they're not happy. They don't have fulfilled lives. They're unfulfilled. So that's the second thing he's telling us the second area of contentment that we should have. The first one was your lot. The second one is your stuff. Your lot and your stuff. And now the third one. Verse 13. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, do you see how this whole section is about... is about... uh, Adversity, I'm sorry, in the day of prosperity, but in the day of adversity, he says, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. What's he saying? Well, look at this. Uh, Verse 13, consider the work of God. The work of God? What work of God? There's a lot of works of God. He's done a lot of different things and still does. He's speaking specifically about the thing that God did to life after the fall. The fall corrupted it, but God turned that into something to his advantage, to his project, and that is, he made it so frustrating and so hostile that it evokes response in man. That's the work of God. 13, the work of God, who is able to, what? Straighten what he has, what? Bent. Do you see? Do you see? The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, you know, God has done this, and we aren't in a position to do anything but accept what God has done. What else can we do? I mean, the writer of Ecclesiastes began speaking those terms way back in chapter 1. You remember this. Way back in chapter 1. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So this third area that we should be content in is the struggles of life, our struggles. So the first was our lot, the second is our stuff, and the third 
is the struggle of life itself. Life itself. Verse 14, In the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider. Now that should sound a lot like another passage somewhere, and that is in Job. You remember, and we've brought this up a few times already in this study, because there's a lot of similarities between Ecclesiastes and Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. But Job said something like this, didn't he? When all those things happened to him and his wife said, Hey, do you still believe in God? And Job said, Shall we accept good from God and not also the bad? The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying exactly the same thing. Verse 14, In the day of prosperity be happy, in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other. I don't know how deep your faith is in this area, but I want to I want to I want to quote something. I don't remember where it is now. Oh, it's it's uh, it's in Job also. I could look it up, but Job says at one point to his accusers and the people who are arguing with him in the book of Job, 42 chapters. He says something really interesting at one point. He says, just like the writer has said here, that God has made one as well as the other. other. Job says, you know that God made both the one who prays on other people and the people who are being prayed on. Did you catch that? Job acknowledges, as the writer has here, that God has done both. He has made both happen. And and you can't miss the fact that God considers them equally wise and equally good and equally effective for what he's doing in the world. You, As a Christian, you have to accept this. You have to accept that the things that look bad to us, the things we call evil, losing our job, not getting that promotion, our wife leaving us, our friends not being faithful, uh, sickness happening, our relatives, you know, our loved ones getting sick and or dying. All of these things. God has made them both happen in his plan. And the writer here says that. God has made the one as well as the other. Some Bible versions actually reword this and say both have come from God, which is exactly what's being said. Now look at the last part of this, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Not discover. Not discover. That harkens back to the thread we've seen in this book so far. That God has intentionally made this not unravelable, if there's such a word. We can't decode it. We can't figure it out. And most of all, we can't overcome it. We can't change it. In other words, he's saying, what choice do you have? 
What choice do you have but to accept God for being God? That's it. That's, that's, really, that's really all we have. So in this section, um, 1 through 14 of chapter 7, we have seen the exhortation by the writer of Ecclesiastes to accept, to accept adversity. He's given us the three things uh, that are good about adversity or that are, that are good outcomes of adversity. And then in that last one, contentment, we've seen three areas of contentment that he wants us to be uh, content in. All right, that's it for this, uh, this lesson. And I hope you'll stay, um, stay tuned, <laughs> so to speak, and excited and anticipating what we're going to do next. But we're going to see, um, coming up, we're going to actually see the writer of Ecclesiastes engage in the notion of society. In other words, you know, he's already said that the person who's indignant toward God, one of the things that that person will do is kind of retract from society, kind of kind of pull back and and try to live small and kind of check out you know and and not uh not fully um you know to try to protect themselves to try to you know not be hurt and i've known people like that and you have and i have actually uh experienced some of that in my own life but the writer of ecclesiastes in the next two pieces of advice advice number four and advice number five both of those are about society. Both of those are uh, going to be about how to live believing God and accepting God. And yet we still have to live in this dirty, hostile world and how to do that. He's going to cover that in the next uh, next section. And uh, quite possibly we'll, we'll cover both of those uh, in our next uh, lesson. In the meantime, believe God.